This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. Your best insight into Utah Jazz basketball and the NBA in Utah. For the next two hours, it's nothing but NBA conversation from the local front to around the association. Now let's get things rolling with Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, welcome everybody into the Salt City Hoops show. I'm Andy Larson, managing editor of SaltCityHoops.com. Uh, Utah Jazz beat writer for KSL.com. Ben Dowsett joins me as always, associate editor of SaltCityHoops.com. We're coming to you as a jazz game is happening live. Uh, jazz currently up 52-50. We'll kind of bring you updates uh, about that game throughout. Um, but this is also posted online as a podcast, so we want to talk about some larger jazz issues at play, not just what's going on with the jazz heat game right now. Um, as always, this is a social show, so please feel free to tweet us, uh, comment on whatever you uh, hear during the show, or of course, you can even call in as well, 877-353-0700. Our Twitter handles are at Andy B. Larson and at Ben underscore Dowsett. We were both verified on Twitter today. We're, yeah. we're, we're famous now. I was so excited. I woke up this morning. I saw there was a blue check mark next to my name. That was awesome. <laughs> Do you feel like you're better than everybody else now? I just feel like people are required now by law to take me more seriously. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I mean, sure, why not? By law. We've also got Aaron Falk uh, at Trib Jazz on Twitter, the, the Salt Lake Tribune Utah Jazz beat writer. Uh, he's actually not on this road trip, I don't believe. I believe Tony no. Jones is. Yeah, but, Tony, um, so Tony's he, in, uh, on the road trip. But he'll be joining us and giving us his uh, insight on how the Jazz have been playing so far this year, and, and we'll have some good questions for him. We want to start off, off the show, though, uh, with kind of what surprised us about the first seven games of the season. Um, I've got five surprises. Ben's got five surprises. Uh, and kind of, you know, what what is it that we've learned about this team so far? Maybe, you know, maybe not going forward, but it, it's been there have been some things that um, may have caught us a little bit off guard that we want to share with you. So let's go ahead and get started. Um, how should we do this, Ben? Alternate or? Yeah, you go. You do one of yours first, then I'll go to my. Uh, well, there's one or two that are sort of similar to each other. So maybe we'll combo those together. OK, um, I'm going to start with Gordon Hayward. OK. Uh, Gordon Hayward has struggled a little bit, uh, not a lot, you know, uh, over the last four games, I believe he's averaging 19 points a game. Um, but the first three, he, he couldn't find the shot really at all. Uh, and he still hasn't been the most efficient of players. I believe he has a 13.6 PER right now. Um, I, you know, like kind of everyone's kind of talked about how he's taken the alpha role in terms of training camp and practices and those sort of things. I guess I expected to see more of the benefits of that on the court. So I'll say two things to that. First of all, I, I don't fully disagree. I think we've, we, and especially last year, we saw Gordon at a higher level than what we've seen him at so far. I, I do want to qualify with two things. First, and this is something that Quinn Snyder and the rest of the team have been quick to note when we've talked to them about it. He's been playing incredible defense. Yeah, really, really good defense. And not just really good defense, really hard defense. He's playing with so much effort on that end of the court. And I don't think you can take that away. I think, uh, like, if you look at the Indiana game when they played in Indiana. He didn't have that great of a night, but he shut down Paul George for the majority of that game. And, you know, you, you ideally, in, in a great, perfect world, he could do both. I, I thought he played also by far the best defense on LeBron James. Yeah, he played excellent. Player, excellent uh, defense. Cavs. As well as you can play, I think, again, well, you know, being Gordon Hayward playing against LeBron James. The other right. thing I'll note is something that uh, Dan Clayton wrote in his post today, which, by the way, he started a new series called the Salt City 7. It's a really fun series. 
It's basically some of all your favorite things from Dan anyway, and he puts them all into one weekly post. It's great. Um, One of the things he noted today was that part of the reason Hayward is not getting his as much offensively is because teams are tailoring their tailoring, excuse me, their entire defensive game plans to him. Mm-hmm. He shows an, uh, an instance with a still image where Hayward starts driving against Memphis, and there's three guys in the lane on him. They're daring the Jazz to do other stuff. They're daring the Jazz to have to rotate the ball to other guys. And I think that's a pretty big factor is that it's been pretty clear so far that every team the Jazz play are game planning for Hayward primarily as the main offensive weapon. But that's... That was true last year, too, right? I mean, what what's changed in terms of that? Uh, I think I do, honestly, because, you know, he came into last year having had a, a bit of a rough year the year before. We weren't 100% sure if he could immediately be an alpha type of player, you know, the primary creator for a good offense. I think to a certain point he took teams by surprise, but you are kind of right. I, I just don't think it was to the same degree last year. Okay, fair enough. Uh yeah, I mean, I, I'm not that concerned um, with, with Hayward long-term. I mean, obviously, there, there's so much more basketball left to be played. It's it's mostly just kind of a shot-making issue, I think, yeah. in a lot of ways. Um, Agree with that, too, by the way. I, uh, it's, it's, I just haven't seen maybe a leap it, that I maybe expected. You Did you expect him to be significantly better this not year? Not like significantly was? better, but honestly, he's improved his game every single year since That's he true. came into the league. That's true. Uh, you know, I guess that had to stop at some point. Maybe this is a year. I think a combination of all the things we just mentioned, and you're right, shot making is maybe the biggest part of it. Mm-hmm. He makes a few more of the open threes he's missed. Maybe we're not even really talking about this. Oh, yeah, I, I agree with that. All, all right. right, what about one of yours? Mine, first. Uh, the Jazz have actually been ninth in the league in terms of per-possession transition efficiency, according to Synergy Sports. Meaning that when they actually do take the ball to the rack on tr- in transition, they've been efficient at scoring it. Which they weren't for the first three Which they or were four games, I believe. They were like... I remember l- asking almost, Quinn about it because they were bad. They were <laughs> almost comically bad. Like, it was almost impossible for them to stay that bad because so many transition chances are like open layups and dunks that it's just impossible over time. And I should point out that uh, the Jazz worked on it since that point. Yep. You know, I, I know that that was a focus in practice because Quinn talked about how the Jazz needed to get easy shots by getting out in transition, by, by taking advantage of the turnovers that the, the defense forces... Uh, and they weren't in the first three games, and then they have turned that on recently this season. Yeah, they've started doing a lot better job of it. The thing is they are still lacking as far as their frequency of attempting these sets. There, And right. some of that is is lingering from the, that early stretch, as we talked about. Some of it, though, has continued. They are still in the bottom five in the league as far as the frequency per game with which they attempt transition possessions. So, Which is surprising given that they're forcing the fourth most turnovers yeah. in the league. And they force a lot of defensive rebounds. Teams miss a lot of shots when they play against the Jazz. They they get a lot of shots blocked uh, by guys like Gobert and Faye, And those are prime opportunities to potentially... Re- you can't do it every time. But when right. you have those kind of numbers, you worry that they're not getting it. And I... <coughs> excuse me. I think the first part is encouraging, that they're starting to have more, be more comfortable finishing when they do get those chances. But this is the same as we saw last year. I think the Jazz were like fifth in efficiency. In transition, but again, they were bottom seven or bottom eight or something like that as far as number of attempts per game. Well, and so, like I said, they're actually forcing the third most turnovers in okay. terms of percentage. So uh, I, I, I guess I want to see them to do a better job of than, I guess, outlet passing. I think that's something mm-hmm. they struggle with. Trey Burke still does definitely have the habit of coming back to the ball, which eliminates your chance of getting out in transition. It would be interesting to see how that changes with uh, Trey out there compared to, say, a triple wing look or mm-hmm. a or a Raul Neto look. Um, 
again, something that you probably need more data on. I think there have only been like 80 total transition chances. Yeah, um, uh, just below 100 now. But yeah, uh, I, I would agree that they need more time, and especially because they started off so slowly there, the sample could be a little bit skewed for this year. Yeah, agreed. What's your next one? Next one. Um, we've both got – okay, how about let's do the Trey ones next. Okay. So – uh, and, and I'll note that Trey Burke has been very positive so far in terms of shooting the ball. And, and I think that's one of your notes as well, that he's shooting so well from three-point line and, and overall. And um, just I'll say real quick so I don't have to go back to it. He's also cut down his mid-range attempts by a lot, which yes, is good. Yes, which is good. Uh, so actually, you want to just talk about how good he's been shooting the ball so far? Yeah, just real quick. shot. He's still shooting over 50% from three. That may be right back around 50 now because I think he's missed one or two in the game we're currently watching. Uh He's shooting nearly 50% overall. I believe it was 48 even coming into this game, which is a huge step. What did he shoot last year? 37%? Like 36? Overall, something like that? 36.8%. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that's a pretty gigantic step up. He's cut down the number of mid-range shots he's taking with, you know, 17 seconds left on the shot clock, which we identified as a pretty big problem for him last year. And I think defensively, it's harder to necessarily judge this because he has had a few times. Tonight would be one of them. And the opener against Detroit where he got burned several times by Steve Blake. He's had a few defensive lapses. But I think overall his defense has been better. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I, I think – well, okay. So I, it's looked better. The stats, the on-off stats and, and the opposing lineup stats have not borne that out. Okay. So um, – and, and I'm running the numbers right now. But if you just look at the, the two-man pairings, for example, that have uh, played more than 20 minutes. So that's when Trey Burke and, say, Derek Favors or Trey Burke and Rudy Gobert are on the floor together. It, it's – it hasn't been brilliant. Uh, you look at, say, so Trey Burke and Rodney Hood has played 59 minutes together. That lineup's giving up 118 points per 100 possessions. That's not great, Bob. Uh, Trey Burke and Gordon Hayward, 111 points. Trey Burke and Rudy Gobert, 110 points per 100 possessions. Trey Burke and Derek Favors, 108 points per 100 possessions. So y- you kind of put it all together, and when, when Trey is in the game, for whatever reason, the, de- the defense doesn't work. And I should point out that's true for both Trey's. Uh, Trey Lyles, when he's in the game, the the defense creators as well. Yeah. On the other hand, if you look at how the Jazz do when Raul Neto's on the court, Raul Neto and Derek Favors, 79 D rating. When uh, Raul Neto and Gordon Hayward, 82 D rating. Raul Neto and uh, Rudy Gobert, let's see if I can find that super quickly, uh, 95. So still great. So still great. Yeah. I do. Sorry, I t- 81. I, I take oh. that back. 81. I was looking at the wrong line. So, again, okay. fantastic. Yeah. So, uh, again, small sample size, sure. But I think the Jazz are much better at the point of attack defensively when Raul Neto's on the court compared to Trey Burke. Yeah. I, I think there's been no question. Lyles, Lyles has looked r- really lost yeah, for, well, for a lot of the year. He's, I mean, Chris Bosh is really good. But in, t- in the game we're watching currently against Miami, he, he bit on like nine straight pump fakes. You, yeah. you just kind of can't keep doing that at a certain point. But, and well, okay, let, let's talk about that later because I think that's a, right. a yep, yep. later point for us. But the the Trey struggles on defense. I think they're really the only Jazz players who have struggled defensively. If you look at the the on off court stats so far, uh-huh. um, and and that's a little bit surprising, I guess. Yeah, I th- I mm, it's a in, little bit in Lyles' they're case, the only ones I think. Yeah, in Lyles' case, I don't think it's all that surprising Fair. to be honest. I, I guess the Jazz's rookies were so good defensively last year, especially Dante Exum, that yeah. maybe the— Maybe they gave us a false uh, false sense of security for what future rookies yeah. would be. Because you know what? Co- the coach can be as you know as incredible as you want, and he really is in this situation, clearly. But he can't—you know, 
he can only do so much with a physical skill set. <laughs> right. And Trey Lyles' skill set in that area is, is needs to catch up, and he's 19 years old, so it's yep. not the worst thing in the world. Um, my next one, uh, we, since we did the Trey Burke already, uh, Rudy Gobert, having clearly read my preseason prediction column, because he reads every column. Thanks, Rudy, <laughs> for doing that, by the way. Um, <laughs> Rudy Gobert currently on pace for 258 blocks, which, by the way, is 58 more than anybody in the league blocked last year. And would smash the 189 that he put up last year and that I predicted he would have less than for the, over the course of this year for a number of different reasons. I, I do find this slightly surprising, only be, not because I, I thought Rudy would somehow get worse, but because I'm just really surprised that teams continue to challenge equally as they have done. I, I understand that you, you, know, you want to try and get baskets at the hoop. That's, you know, those are typically the most efficient baskets in the game. But when you're playing the Jazz, that that calculus changes. When they're shooting like 30% at the rim against Rudy Gobert, maybe the most efficient looks are no longer at the rim, right? Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, at some point, you think teams would, would recognize that. And I think, quite honestly, in a playoff series, they would. Yeah. Right now, teams are focused on making themselves better and, and kind of running the offense that they want to run for 82 games rather than just one matchup. Yeah, and I think that was where my error came preseason, is I, I think I assumed a little bit too much uh, countering and adjustments from coaches, where, I, you know, you're right. I think, te- you know, especially for the Jazz have played several Eastern teams already so mm-hmm. far this year who they'll only see twice the entire year. Those coaches aren't, you know, spending lots of time in their in their offseason like, boy, we need to prepare for Gobert and Favors. Right, and especially with the way the NBA is going, I mean, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. We've got a tweet I want to read just Do for it. funsies. At uh, Please Doubt Me says, At Andy B. Larson, your voice makes me want to punch myself in the face. <laughs> I got told for the first few weeks I did my Basketball Insiders chat when I did it, I had one, <clears throat> excuse me, one commenter continuously come into the comments and say, you have the most punchable face in the universe. <laughs> it was wonderful. And it's probably true. My face probably is My really voice punchable. is terrible. I mean, we're, we're on the same page here. Like, <laughs> at some level, we can't do anything about – you can't do anything about your face. I can't yeah. do anything about my voice. All I can do is try to say, like, smartish kind of things – but in the end, like, yeah, I sound a little bit like a nasally nerd who shouldn't be on the radio. Let's be honest. I, I balance it. My, my radio voice isn't terrible, right? I balance it yeah, out. Yeah, no, okay. you're, I mean. So I balance that out. Your face is much less punchable than mine. <laughs> I, I, think we, I think we balance it out. I think we're fine. Anyway. What's your next one? My next one, uh, I've been so negative so far. Uh, you got a good go one about Neto. Let's go with Raul Neto, yeah. Just that Neto's defensive net rating is so good. Uh, again, uh, players that come from Europe usually struggle much more defensively than Raul Neto does. Yeah. Uh, has so far. And, yeah. and he's looked very good. Um, I think s- s- the stats are a little bit too nice to him. Yeah, I would totally um, agree with that. And But he is getting steals, which is, which is super nice. Yep. Uh, and has helped the Jazz, again, get easy buckets on the other end. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, that, that part's been nice to see. I, didn't, I expected him to be the best Jazz point guard defender. I didn't expect him to be an actually good point guard defender. Yeah, I, th- I think I would agree with that. I totally agree with you that the numbers are perhaps overstating the actual effect yeah. of his defense because, you know, keep in mind he plays, to this point in the year, has played nearly every minute he's played with Gobert and Favors because he starts and he's and then a lot of the time does not continue playing after. Sure. Um, so you got to keep that in mind. But- um, yeah, no, I mean, I'm, I'm keeping that in mind, but then we also looked at those stats when uh, Trey Burke's in the game and, and is playing with those same players. So yeah, I think no, that's, it's, that's it's true. Mention. Yeah, it's true. Um, what was my next one here? Oh, right. This is one that may have changed since the beginning of this game that, okay. we're, that we're currently watching. But the Jazz entered this game with the highest percentage, shooting the highest percentage in the NBA on open threes. So that would be threes where no defender is within four feet of the shooter. 
the Jazz were shooting, I think, nearly 2% higher than any other team. Um, we just watched Gordon Hayward miss another one of those. As we're, <laughs> they have, have they made a three yet tonight? Yeah, I think Burks, Burks made one. Made one at the, at the half. Okay. So, th- still, though, that's a really good number coming into this game, and that is all while the guy who the, was shooting the most of those attempts for the Jazz, which is Rodney Hood, he had taken 26 coming into tonight, was only shooting 30% on them, which is really bad and is the worst, among, in fact, among Jazz guys who are shooting lots. Um, what this means to say is, oh, no, sorry, I had a second part to it. Unfortunately, they're in the bottom seven of the league as far as the percentage of their total shots that have been open threes. So they're shooting really well on these open threes, but they're not generating them at as high of a rate as nearly any other team in the league. What do you make of that? I I don't know. I mean, I, I think at some sense it's too soon to look at percentages maybe. Yeah. Um, in particular, like Rodney Hood just made a three, is not a 26% free throw, or a three-point shooter for the year. No. I mean, and on the other hand, Trey Burke is not a 48% three-point shooter for the year. Yeah. Uh, that's just, you know, neither of those things are going to continue. I do think it's good that the Jazz are, when, I mean, you can tell how much more successful their offense is when they're generating three-point attempts. Oh, yeah. And that's, that's been promising to see as, as a focus for Quinn Snyder's offense. And even though the Jazz have some pretty bad shooters, um, you're right that maybe they're not generating the open threes because, quite frankly, I, either the players have to hesitate or whatever the case might be. Right. Um, but it's good to see that they're at least making a, a fair percentage of them. I, I also wonder, by the way, if this is a point where sport view might be lying to us a little bit. There's the champ because you mentioned certain guys on the Jazz potentially have a longer wind-up point, which isn't necessarily good as you're a shooter, but you know you got to got to work with what you have. Um, it, it could be that there are instances where the shots they're shooting are quote unquote open, but the you know the defender happens to get himself within four feet by the mm-hmm. you know just within four feet by the time the, the actual shot is released, and that's one area where, as we know, the, the you know the sport view can be imperfect, shall we say? Yeah. I do still think that it's the the part that's more worth noting is how many of them they're generating, which because yeah. that's the more sustainable element long term. Right? Agreed. Cool. What was your next one? Uh, Trevor Booker. Trevor Booker has really struggled. Yeah. Can't make a shot. But I think more troubling is that he's not really helping out in in other aspects of the game either. You look at, for example, his um, assist ratio is is much much worse than it was last year. Uh, just sorry, pulling up those stats right now. He's averaging one point. Let's see, his turnover assist percentage went down from nine to seven, so that's not great. Um, he's rebounding less well. He's shooting the ball less well. He's taking fewer shots. Um, he's looked, I think, pretty bad defensively at times. I, I pretty bad is probably being nice. I mean, this is a guy that you called at the at during the offseason an above average third big in the league. And yeah. I, I mean, I kind of disagreed with you, but even to that expectation, he still he hasn't performed well. No, he hasn't at all. His, I do think he's in some ways being hurt by the fact that Quinn Snyder's been playing him so much with Trey Lyles. Sure. In that, in those second units, where I just don't think Trey Lyles is a good partner for him. I think a better partner for Booker is a, a guy, one of the the more traditional bigs that the Jazz have, where occasionally Booker can gamble a little bit more for a steal or something like that. He can be a little more free offensively because he's not expected to be playing down low as often. Mm-hmm. Uh, d- although I do not think that covers the issues that he's been having. The other thing is zero free throws so far. 
Ooh, I did not even see that. So that's bad. Yeah, that's that's bad. I mean, basically, it all comes down to PER last year, fifteen point three. Kind of throughout his career, quite honestly, he's been a fifteen PER kind of guy. Yeah. So far this year, four point nine. Ooh, that's not good. It's not good. Yeah, um, Booker certainly needs to improve. How would you know? We'll get into it later. I think he's been mostly mediocre again tonight, uh, for the yeah. most part, based on what he's I've had seen. one good game. Yeah. Um. All right. And that actually kind of takes us right into what my other surprise was, which is the general badness of Utah's backup bigs, which has been ex- extensive. They're, they're ba- I mean, when one of Favors or Gobert is not on the floor, the Jazz are, are losing, basically. Like, they're being outscored significantly when one of those two guys isn't playing. Yeah, I, and then you, you mentioned as well that, that Tibor Pleister and Jeff Withy haven't gotten a shot either. Yeah, um, I'm a little surprised that the la- Like, Pleister, I just don't think is ready. I just don't think he's an NBA player right now. Yeah. But w- Withy has shown that he can give you seven, ten minutes of where, at the very minimum, your defense isn't going to crater and die. Y- maybe he's not going to be a great offensive player, but at least you can hold teams to your usual levels defensively. So let me ask, if you're the Jazz, I mean, the reason that Trey Lyles is playing more than Jeff Withy right now is nearly 100% developmental. Right. That they want to get his you know, early NBA struggles out of the way early, kind of almost like Rodney Hood last year, yeah. who you'll remember struggled shooting and, and, uh, and a lot of NBA things at the yeah. beginning of last year. Now, Lyles is much younger than Hood was last year um, by at least two years. Mm-hmm. So you may not just expect him to come to be able to figure out as as quickly as Hood did. Yeah, but, I would. Sorry, keep going. But if you're the Jazz and you're looking long term, do you give those minutes to Trey Lyles or do you give them to Jeff Withey? I think that's a very contextual question. There are, you know, I think you fi- in the and, context they're currently in. <laughs> um, you know what I mean? Well, like, no, no, no. But I mean even contextual between games and situations. Oh, okay. Because, uh, for example. The way that, that Snyder did it the other night in Cleveland, I, I have to say I disagreed with a little. I would, in those situations where it's a team, especially when you're in the second half and you're, you're playing well against a Cleveland team that you can potentially beat and it's a close, close enough game, uh, that's where I would have favored playing the guy who you're pretty sure is going to be better for you on the court. But so, those aren't going to be all the times this year. The Jazz are going to have plenty of times this year where they're where they're in blowouts either way or where they're playing weaker opposition. Like, I had no problem with Lyles, you know, get Lyles some minutes against teams like Philly. No issue with that. Like that's, I, I think that's you, that should happen pretty consistently. Sure, but I mean, so you're, you're, how many blowouts are there compared to close games? I mean, if if you're unwilling to play them in a close game, not that, all close games. I, I and I, I really think it's going to depend pretty significantly on the specific context of every situation. And, and okay, point two, doesn't he learn better in kind of those close games against good talent? He does, but also by the same token, you're trying to. I, it's a it's a tough balance. You're right, but I think that. Baking the playoffs is a is a really big thing for the Jazz this year, and I I've I've maintained that point since last year. And I, I when the balance is is heavily tilting in that direction, I would favor playing the guy who we think is is a better NBA player. Yeah, no, I I think that's fair. I would point out that right now ESPN has the Jazz at having a ninety eight point three percent chance of making the playoffs. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I don't really believe their basketball power index that much. I'll be honest. No, neither do I. Which is weird because I mean, usually ESPN's like stat stuff is actually pretty good at like their Monte Carlo simulation is nice, but I don't get how you get that confident of a result from a four and three record so far, even though the Jazz's net rating has been pretty good. That's probably where they get most of it from. Honestly. Sure, I mean, sure it is, but uh, even then. And you have to look at teams who have had similarly good ratings and maybe, heck, maybe this is how they're doing it, and said, you know, teams that have a plus eight net rating or whatever the Jazz is so far, 
make the playoffs 98% of the time? I, I, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's kind of tough to say. You had one more before we did the break? Did I? Um, the turnover differential? Oh, yes, thank you. So I, I'm surprised that the turnover di- differential is as, as good as it's had as it has been. Me too. I mean, that the Jazz right now currently give up the fourth fewest turnovers in the league, and that's so that's adjusted by pace, and then are forcing the third most turnovers in the league. Last year, that's not what they did at all. If you look at what they did last year, it was about average in both categories. Uh, actually, less than average. 26th most turnovers given up, so let's see, fifth worst in the league, let's put it that way, um, or 21st in the league at forcing turnovers. So again, bad in either direction last year, very good in either direction this year. I have a small hypothesis that goes does not go far enough to explain this full thing, but I do think the way that the Jazz's defense kind of scares people a little more now, I think is helping cause a little bit more of that sort of uncertainty okay. for in offensive players. Again, this isn't going to cover everything. The Jazz are doing different things to help create these. They've like we saw that pressure yeah. uh, on, against I think Cleveland, trapping a lot more, a lot more traps, and and those are the, obviously the primary cause. But I also really just think teams are are just realizing like the Jazz. The Jazz are a really good defense, and they're hesitant about taking certain shots. You get yourself up in the air where you'd normally be taking a shot. All of a sudden, Gobert's seven foot eight arms come flying at you, and you try and do something else with it. Yeah. I, I really think that that maybe plays just a tiny bit of a role. No, I, I, I'm with you. I, I think I agree. You know, kind of there's this baseball equivalent where like speed guys create more defensive turnovers just because they make right. um, defensive errors. I should say just because they make you kind of hesitate and and maybe rush it a little bit mm-hmm. or do something differently from what you normally do. Uh, you know, maybe there's a kind of a similar thing on, on the basketball offensive end. Yeah, anyway, I think I'd agree. We got to go ahead and take a break. Right now, Heat lead the Jazz 72 68. Uh, Bosch just got an and one, so he'll be going to the free throw line. Uh, like I said, we got to take a break. On the other side, we're going to be talking more about the Utah Jazz. In particular, uh, we'll be talking about the Jazz in the clutch. Recently, their, their two losses, two of their three losses, have been within five points at the end. Uh, that's been a trouble for them last year we're going to be talking more about that next on the salt city hoop show you're listening to it on espn 700 analytics and opinions on the jazz and the rest of the nba this is salt city hoops on espn 700 all right welcome back into the salt city hoop show espn 700 i'm andy larson managing editor of salt city hoops ben dowsett joining you as well uh, Jazz currently down 75-70 to the Miami Heat, 8-11 left in the fourth quarter. Uh, Quinn Snyder just called a timeout after the Jazz gave up a pretty bad transition defense there, kind pretty of a one-on-three, <laughs> and uh, got scored on anyway. No one no one bothered to stop the ball. So That's being nice of you to say pretty bad. You can't have three guys back and give up a layup <laughs> to the one guy on the other team who has a ball. Give me give me a better adjective. Uh, very bad. Anything stronger than than pretty bad. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Uh, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about this. Tom Kirkland actually asked me about this on TK in the Midday yesterday when I was on that program, about what it is that the Jazz need to do better in order to be more effective in the clutch. Uh, And I'm not a big clutch guy. You know, I I basically think that as good as you are for the rest of the game, that's about as good as you'll probably be in clutch. Like, you still have those basic sort of factors in play, if you will. You have the same kind of players. Uh, obviously you have your best players out there on the floor, but uh, it's not the time when the bravest and c- most courageous of men, you know, rise into battle and, and score with glory or anything. You know, <laughs> that's that's just not how, what actually happens. No, but although, oh, sorry, go. The Jazz have struggled in the clutch. I mean, so last year they had the eighth worst record of games decided by five points or less. Okay. This year they're 0-2 in such games. Um, 
what is it that the Jazz need to do better in order to be more successful then? Well, the first thing I'll say is that I, while I agree with you that it, in, in essence or in many ways, in theory, I think you could say, the way you play the game shouldn't change in the clutch. Like, you should, you're still playing basketball. It should, you should still be going through the same motions that you do and so on and so forth. The, the thing I would say is that it's uh, the level of play does pick up. The, and, and not just the fact that the best players are in the game, but the, the actual level of play. Like the, the, the play itself becomes guys are playing harder. They're, okay. you know, so on and so forth. And I think that means something. I'm not sure if the Jazz, the Jazz play really hard anyway. So I'm not sure if they have as much of that second level to get to as some other teams do. Uh, that said, I'm, I'm not 100% sure that I can, other than things that I've said about them normally, like get into your offense faster, start doing things more quickly, so on and so forth. I'm not sure I can identify a whole lot of, because, you know, the stuff against Cleveland, for instance, a big part of the Jazz's minus so in, in the in clutch situations this year comes from their, their four minutes of clutch time they played against the, the, the Cavaliers, mm-hmm. and they have LeBron. And right. that's one of those few guys who there are who it's like, okay, this guy really is going to take it to a superhuman level for this period of time. Right, and we, we've seen that over and over again yeah. with the Jazz. And, uh, you know, the Jazz won't have LeBron James, but, you know, 95% of the teams in the league don't have a LeBron James. Yeah. Um, I also wonder if – I asked Quinn Snyder about this, and he said that it wasn't really the offense that was a problem. The Jazz played worse defense in yeah. those situations. I thought that was a little bit interesting, and it was a little bit bared out by, by the data there that um, – you know, actually, the Jazz defense was about the same, but most of the time during the clutch, defense gets a little bit better. Maybe that's because guys are forcing shots or whatever. Um, but for whatever reason, it's not quite the same. Um, I, I, I wonder about it, and I think also part of it is how the uh, a little bit is that the Jazz don't have a go-to score, right? So that's part of it. And on defense, I think it's kind of what I said that the, the Jazz play so intense on defense as it is for the, for the majority of the game. That's part of their calling card. It's hard to ramp that up another notch in the play area. Not sorry in the clutch. Another weird thing, though, is so far the Jazz have had one of the best fourth quarter scoring records of any team in the league. You know, hmm. it seems like they're doing well at the beginning of fourth quarters, like we saw against Cleveland, yeah. but maybe not near the end. I, I don't know. They're, Substitution patterns, maybe. I maybe. think it could be because Snyder has done that on a couple occasions where he's pulled guys out earlier in the third quarter so he can put them back in to start the fourth. He's done that with Gobert once or twice, I think, and I think he's also done it with Hayward. And then they mistaken. get tired at the end of the fourth? Maybe. I think it, you, it could be that. Or it could just be the, you know, the same thing. Like, they don't have the extra level to get to. Other teams do. Fair. Okay. No, I'm, I'm just trying to think, like, what, you know, what is it that the Jazz can do better? You know, eighth worst won't cut it. If you're, basically, if you're trying to make the playoffs, right, obviously a better record in these kind of games within five points would, would make a big difference. Yeah. And, you know, we're seeing it's not clutch just yet. Not a clutch situation, but we are seeing the Jazz in this fourth quarter that we're watching now. For those that listen to this later, they're what is there like six minutes left right yeah, now, six, and the Jazz left. have barely scored in the fourth quarter so far. Yeah, I, I I don't know what to make of it. I mean, it's it's a little bit they hard. They just can't score. No, they, uh, they, maybe that's because um, Rel Neto can't shoot. But I don't know why Neto's in at this time in the game. To be honest with you, would you go triple wing? Yeah. Or Burke, or any of the options they have at point guard besides Neto. I don't understand why. When you're down seven points and there's six minutes left in a game, I don't understand why he's in. I want to bring up, by the way, how good Derek Favors has been in this game so far. I mean, so he's eight of 16, uh, 20 points, six rebounds, three steals, six blocks. Six blocks is good. Yeah. How many blocks has Whiteside had, by the way? Five. Five? Also pretty good. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's the problem in, in this game is the Jazz only have one player who can guard either of Chris Bosh and Hassan Whiteside. 
uh, you know, normally they would have two, and I think Rudy Gobert would be able to do pretty well. Yeah. But uh, not not when Rudy Gobert's out. They only have Derek Favors. All right, so really quick, back to the clutch thing. Yeah. What would you, assuming that Gwen Snyder's right because he's right about everything, <laughs> uh, assuming that he's right and it's the, the defense is the much larger problem, which I think the numbers would bear out at this point as well, even though they're on a, a small sample. What would you, what can you identify as besides just like guard LeBron better? What can you, what can you identify as things that they need to do more effectively? In I think situations? that was honestly part of it is uh, in the clutch against Cleveland, they had like Alec Burks and uh, Rodney Hood try to guard LeBron James. And that just wasn't very successful um, as the jazz get an and one. I favors again. Uh, he's, he's quite good at basketball. That Derek favors giant in this game. I, I think that's part of it. I think sometimes they, I don't know. Teams have kind of figured out what the Jazz do well by the end of the game. Maybe that's yeah. it. I mean, I, I'm grasping at straws a little bit because uh, some of it's that we don't have enough data for this season yet, right? Yeah. And some of it's that clutch situations are hard enough to have data as is. And I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm unabashedly a statistical analyst when it comes to trying to understand the game. Of course, I'm watching every game. I'm watching, you know, multiple NBA games per night. But I, when I look at conclusions, I try to justify what I see in the eye test with what I see in this, in the statistics. And, and honestly, it's, it's hard for me to come up with kind of explanations. Yeah. You know, and I, th- I do think you just said something in there that, that possibly resonates, which is that, and it's not just necessarily other teams figuring out what it's the other coaches kind of figuring like, so for example, this is something that uh, our, our friend of the program, Nate Duncan talked about on his podcast a couple nights ago after that jazz Cleveland game, because they went into depth on, on the jazz versus Cleveland. They talked about the those traps that the Jazz were throwing at LeBron on the. It was when the Cavs would run one three pick and roll, which for those who don't know, it's when the point guard and LeBron run a pick and roll where LeBron sets the screen. And what they're really trying to do in that play is LeBron will always slip the screen and just run to one of the elbows so they can get him the ball while he's moving. And then LeBron is obviously very dangerous when he's moving with the ball going to the hoop. Yeah. What the Jazz started doing is they started bringing Gobert over to trap that. And force LeBron to make a cross-court pass that even LeBron, over those huge Rudy arms, wasn't able to make. And he might be the best in ever at making those passes. In the second half, and especially down the stretch in the fourth quarter, Cleveland switched that up. They started running those pick-and-rolls up top rather than running them on the side. And try. And LeBron would do the same thing, but he was running to different places. And then they, that's when they started to be able to get him the ball on the move without a second guy in front of him. And that's when he started torching the Jazz. Those sorts of things sometimes that just sometimes that stuff just happens. You start you you figure something out on a team, and then they go back into halftime or wherever in the huddle they figure it out and find and get a counter for you. And maybe in a couple of occasions the Jazz have just been the last one to find a counter there. Yeah. I, I think to a certain point there's only so much you can do about that. Besides, think of all possible counters beforehand <laughs> and know them all. Which you know that's actually t- that's the tough. Jazz, but the Jazz do a good job of kind of recognizing teams' plays a little bit, a little bit, yeah. Um, but I. I agree with you. Is it's so hard to figure that out because I, I think you're right. The coaches are kind of understanding what's what's going on, and um, again, trying uh, minimizing what makes the Jazz effective. Yeah. One other thought there: What if it's kind of the the too big solution kind of being figured out by the end of the game? I do think there's a possibility of that. Uh, I, I mean, do you think that, that there, there's a chance that gets to such an extreme point that the Jazz have to go away from it at the Jazz, end of games? By the way, Jazz are shooting 26% tonight in the second half. It That's is hard bad. to win games yes. when that is what you're doing. Is there a solution to that for the Jazz? 
I don't think so. Like, in the end, are you going to keep either Derek Favors or Rudy Gobert out of the game in, in clutch? Probably yeah, that's kind of hard to justify, it's I not, think. not the right move. Um, so, anyway. I'm, I'm just, again, grasping at straws, trying to figure out what's going on here. Jazz currently down 6, 79-73 to the Miami Heat. Five minutes, 17 seconds left. We're going to go ahead and take a break. On the other side, we're going to be talking more jazz basketball, including the end of this Miami Heat jazz game. That's next on the Salt City Hoop Show, ESPN 700. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, welcome back into the Salt City Hoops show. Andy Larson and Ben Dowsett joining you. Um, We just talked about the Jazz's performance in the clutch, and currently the Jazz are down three with three minutes left to go, currently in timeout in Miami. Uh, Just some of the performances in this game so far have been pretty incredible. Um, Derek Favors especially, 23 points, 10 rebounds, 6 blocks, 3 steals, 2 assists. One turnover. You'll you'll take that. (laughs) (laughs) Making more than half his shots. Yeah, I'll take it. Yeah, 5 rebounds tonight. Uh, Gordon Hayward had an excellent first quarter and then since then has slowed down considerably. He just missed 2 free throws, his first 2 Free throw misses of the night, so he's now 8 for 10. But still 20 points overall for Gordon, 8 rebounds to assists. He's been great on the boards. Um, That's because the Jazz have played small a little more often with no Gobert. Hayward has helped pick up that slack a lot. Rodney Hood has struggled a little bit, 4 for 14 so far, 1 one for 5 from 3. Uh, 3 assists, 2 steals though, so that's good. Uh, and then the bench has really struggled tonight. 0 for 2, Trevor Booker. 0 for 2, Joe Ingles. Uh, 0 for 0 for zero in his 14-second Stebor place. <laughs> 3 for 9 from Trey Burke. Uh, Alec Burks, though, has done well. 7 for 13. Jazz just got a rebound. We're going to try this, like, kind of break down the game as it happens thing. Yeah, we're not going to. All right, so for people who are listening on podcast form later on, there are currently 2 minutes and 35 seconds in the game starting now. <laughs> And the clock is running, so you can sync up with us later if, if you if you want to. You so want, yeah. Alec Burks just gave the ball away. Um, so this is really right now. By the way, the Jazz have kind of. I think they're. I guess I was going to say they have their five best players out there, but they don't. I think Trevor Booker's out now instead of uh, who's not out there. Rodney Hood in this late situation. Ooh, the ref just called a really late foul. Um, do you like this as the ending lineup, or would you rather see Rodney Hood out there for Trevor Booker? It's tough because Bo- you, what do you do with Bosch? Yeah. You, you almost just need a guy who's that size who can guard Bosch. But Trevor Booker is not Chris Bosch's size, as no, you can see from just, this and foul. And that was a foul, by the way. Uh, or at least. Yeah, I look from here like a foul. Um, that's tough to say, given that they're down. Like, for instance, if Bosch makes both these free throws to put the Jazz down by five with, you know, two and a half left, I think you have to consider, and I think we see Booker sitting down now, and you have to consider getting the lineups that can space and just hoping – that Bosch can't kill you on the other end that he okay. misses. And in the, in that case, it sucks, but I think you, you back off him a little bit and let him shoot the jumper. If he, if he makes it, if he beats you shooting 20 footers, he beats you shooting 20 footers. Just don't okay. let him get to the rim on you. Yeah, no, I, I think that's reasonable. Um, I, I just, it's again, so hard. I said this earlier in the segment last time that the jazz only have one player who can guard either Bosch or, or white side right now. Yeah. Bosch just missed the first free throw. Hey, um, L- losing Gobert. It's always going to hurt, no matter what. But especially against a team like this that employs, you know, there's there might not be a better front court matchup in the league for Bosch Whiteside than Favors Gobert, and and missing one half of that equation is just really really tough. Yeah, I agree. Let me ask, who's a bigger miss then? Is it Dwayne Wade or Rudy Gobert for their I, respective teams? Truly, I, I I honestly think it's Gobert in this case. Just be, I, I know what Dwayne Wade means to that team. I just Derek I, Favors dunk, nice drop off pass by Gordon Hayward. Go ahead. Woo! Um, yeah. 
I, I, and I might get yelled at for for what I just said. I, and it's definitely close. But frankly, the Heat have gotten some good minutes from some of their reserve guys. Tyler Johnson's played really well. To, maybe not Dwayne Wade well, but he's played well. Tyler Johnson is an underrated player. He is. I just like him. Made a hard layup over over the Jazz's defense. Now eighty six, eighty two, uh, one forty left in the game. Uh, that's one of those where it's like when you look at we're going to look at the Jazz's clutch rating later. Their clutch rating gets hurt when guys make ridiculous circus shots like that, which they you know they can't do anything about that. Yeah, well, I would say that maybe you stop the penetration sooner, like Justice Winslow just did against Gordon Hayward. Yeah, I guess that would be the uh, that would be the solution there. <laughs> Jazz are actually having Alec Burks guard Tyler Johnson, which I think is interesting. They're putting uh, Trey Burke on Drogic, which again, Drogic, I should say. I've been scolded into pronouncing that correctly. Derek Seventh Favors block. with another block. Good lord! Ten seconds left. Uh, you can have a triple double block. with blocks if this game goes to overtime, and he gets three more blocks. Well, yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying, there's not that's, enough time left right now. That's a lot now. of work. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah, I mean, that would be kind of cool, though. I'm pro Derek Favors triple-double blocks time. By the way, know who's playing like an all-star so far this year? Who? Derek Favors. Do uh, you think he's going to make it? No. I think there's almost <laughs> no chance that because we've discussed before how ridiculously difficult it is for guys like him to crash the, the, the metaphorical party, if you will. Alec Burks. Good Lord. I don't understand how he – I mean uh, – I were Craig Buller, Jack, I would be shouting Houdini. Yeah, I'm sure he just did. <laughs> we don't have the volume on, so we can't tell, but I'm sure he just Because we have to did. do radio. I mean, that makes sense. He called timeout. Now up only two, 49 seconds left in the game. Um, this is this is the true clutch time. This is what what you want, right? I, I, I have Looks to like ask. it's a 20-second timeout, by the I have, way. I have to ask you the same question that you were asking me. What do you what do you think is the optimal lineup for the Jets? Do you think it's the one, the one they just had? Out? I think you go offense-defense at this point, right? Yeah, you got little enough time. Well, so who's your defense guy that you go? Who's Is is Trevor Booker <laughs> considered going defense at this point? Because do you go favors Withy? Is Withy even active? Yeah, he is for tonight he, because Gobert is not. So Gobert and um, Dante Exum but are can you, active. But can you... You know, can you put a cold guy who's played zero minutes basically this entire season onto the floor in crunch time minutes and say, go get it done? Well, That's can you put Trevor Booker on the floor against Chris Bosh and say, go get it done? I don't know, man. <laughs> Do you <laughs> like put Lyle, Lyles? Like, has Lyles played better defense on Bosh? No. In, no. in this yeah. game than Booker. But <laughs> they've the, both been really you're yeah, just you're asking, kind of You're asking there for a 1-5 or 1-4 pick and roll with Bosh and, and, or pick and pop, whatever, yeah. and he's going to get an open shot against either Lyles or Booker. I think if you put Favors and Withy in there, maybe you have a chance. Maybe, yeah. I, I mean, and, but that's the argument for, and I've been wondering about this for a while, is why isn't Withy getting occasional minutes? That's the argument for that. Yeah. If, Wishy had play, if Withy had played seven minutes so far tonight, and now it looks like Neto comes which, in. Which makes sense. You'd that rather does. have him defensively than Trey Burke. So they're going to stay small, but they're going to go with Neto. So now who gets Bosch? Uh, who is getting Bosch right now? Uh, Hayward. Gordon Hayward. Hayward gets Bosch. Which makes sense out of the players who they have on the floor, right? I guess the idea is that any of Miami's guys that can run pick and roll, the Jazz will just switch it, and the Jazz will put whoever on, so, and they get a jumper and they make it. There's, I, I don't think you can yeah, complain about that. That's Tyler, so that's Tyler Johnson hitting a 20-foot jump shot. I'm completely and totally fine with how the Jazz defended that. And honestly, they ran, so they ran uh, Tyler Johnson, Hassan Whiteside pick and roll, which was not which I was kind of surprised at. Right? Yeah, me like, too. That's not what I don't know why you invite favors to and, be in the play. And ultimately, it was good defense by Neto. There's a hand up like a half inch away from where that ball was released. There's, there's, yeah, there's not a whole lot you why can do. Why is Tyler Johnson good? I don't know. 
He's, he's played 29 minutes so far, 7 of 11, 15 points. Like, uh, he's the guy that made the Chalmers trade possible for them. That's right. why they were able to do it is because they know they have a guy like like who, frankly, Johnson's been better so far yeah. this year by like a, probably a wide margin, honestly. I thought it was interesting, by the way. Um, Jazz are currently in timeout, 49 seconds left. Um, I think it's 38. Or, sorry, 38 seconds left. Thanks. It hadn't updated on my computer yet. I think it's interesting, by the way, that the Jazz, according to Jody Genesee, investigated a Mario Chalmers trade. Um, I, A, wonder who the Jazz would have given up in that scenario, and B, how likely that actually was. I'm totally fine with that not having happened. Uh, yeah, I uh, don't. Uh, what is Chalmers good at? Shooting open threes. Kind of. Sort of. But if you look at, uh, I think it was like a 35% three-point shooter last year. Now mm. I'm looking it up. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't, let's see. He shot 30, no, 29% Wait, last what? year. Really? Yeah. What was it the year before? 38. So when he's shooting them open. By the way, when he's got he's LeBron shooting James, so far this year? What's that? 9%. Yeah, that's not good. 9.1%. So maybe he's not Zero good at nine. it when he's not shooting them literally like so wide open because LeBron James is drawing three right. guys. If LeBron is on your team, thumbs up, can make 38% of them. Else if, sorry, that was really nerdy. But Else uh, if. <laughs> shooting 29% At least you didn't use IFF. 9% this year. At least you didn't use IFF. Do you know what IFF? Yes, of course I do. If and only if. You forget that I'm a nerdy math major. Jazz have the ball yeah. down four, 38 seconds left. They got to go quick here. Gordon Hayward goes up, pulls up from the elbow, misses a shot. Heat get the rebound. Jazz. I don't know why foul. the Jazz did not immediately foul Whiteside. Why didn't they? I mean, they did. Oh, they did. Okay, that was I, not immediately, admittedly, but like I almost yelled with two or three seconds left there for a second. What's Whiteside shooting from the free throw line? Bad. So you have to hope that it's bad here again. I think he's like in the 50s. If I'm not, I'm looking right now. Hold on. Uh. I have to click complete player card to see this. What's up with that, guys? Fifty uh, percent for his career. Fifty percent, and then on the year he's shooting about sixty. So okay, we'll see what happens. Sad Rudy Gobert on our cameras right yeah, now. Yeah, I mean, you re- even if the Jazz lose this game, don't- oh, was- Whiteside misses the first. Whiteside misses the first, but even if the Jazz lose this game, don't you have to feel like, I mean, missing Rudy Gobert does he not make up those four points? Missing Dwayne Wade does he not make oh, it yeah. a bigger margin? Yeah, maybe. I guess that's possible. Well, we're going to see what possible. happens here. How long do we have until we have to go to break and cut the people we off? We've got like our three minutes, analysis. so it kind of it kind of works out well, actually. Whiteside yeah. misses again. Alec Burks gets blocked. Was that by Whiteside or by Bosch? I don't know. Um, Jazz got a foul back there somewhere. I think Bosch, given that he's pointing to the crowd and wanting the love and support of the eight thousand Miami Heat fans that are there. Apparently, it's only about a third full at American Airlines Arena tonight. Um, the Jazz, by the way, are the lowest home draw in the league. I don't know if you knew that, but they have, if you just look at the opposing uh, attendance for an away game so far, lowest average in the league. That being said, they've played teams like Philadelphia, who never have fans, but Denver sometimes Den- has fans. No, and Denver's only- attendance has been the worst in the league so far, so oh, that's yeah, what's I mean, skewing that. But then the Jazz is was even the worst of the Denver home games. Yeah. 9,000 fans. Well, it looks like the Jazz are going to lose this game. They are wow, now wow. about to be down six. With what, 13 seconds left? Uh, 20. 19 seconds Excuse left. Excuse me, 20, yeah, 19, so. 20 seconds 19. left. 19.9. A lot of, lot of, lot of miss. We're, we're not going to not be talking about the clutch thing anymore after this game because a, a lot of missed shots for the Jazz that you generally expect them to make. Yeah. Quinn Snyder calls timeout. Down five because, uh, who was it? Bosch missed the second one. That was Dragic. Oh, sorry, Dragic. Thank you. Um, I, I'm curious... Um, I mean, what do you make of this game? Just because Gobert's out, do you not uh, do you change how you look at the defense? 
Do you no. look at how Trey Lyles is, is happening? Or? I'm going to have to rewatch because while we're on the radio trying to like have <laughs> right. a radio broadcast while also watching the game, in the first half, I, I really didn't think they were doing that many things too badly. I, I really do think that their their defensive culture was clearly suffering from not having Gobert in the game. Like you, the, the drop from a guy like Gobert... Not, okay, so it's not even just about the drop from Gobert to whoever his backup at center is because Favors plays most of the center minutes and he can do a pretty dang good job as we've seen in this game. It's the drop off from Favors at four to whoever is next at at four. And that's the, the drop off tonight has been just gigantic. Right. And that's the problem. And that's kind of the Jazz's Achilles heel, if you will, is if any of Gordon Hayward, Derek Favors, and Rudy Gobert go down for any period of time. They're in trouble. They're in, in a lot of trouble, trouble. and I think tonight showed that because, again, we talked about it in the first segment of the show. Trevor Booker and Trey Lyles have really struggled this year. Yeah, so five points for the Jazz. They still have a timeout. If they could make a three, the game isn't over yet, but this is where you're in the lots of ifs to try and, to try and potentially win the game. Well, in the Jazz last year, they didn't shoot threes during these sort of um, parts of the game, and and Gordon Hayward there just forced along too, even though he got fouled. Um, uh, You you probably need three points there, right? You probably do. It looked like they drew it up to try and get a three, but it just they it just kind of didn't work out that way. Guarded it well. Yeah, one I will. I do have to say this real quick, and unfortunately, because it's it's the only area of his coaching job that I think I can criticize. I do not think Quinn Snyder's out of bounds sets are very good. And I, I especially late in games, and I think that that could maybe be a small source of the Jazz's issues in in the clutch. Not not a huge one because you only have a few of those, you know, for every clutch situation. And that's you know, Quinn Snyder's preparation for games is is ridiculously good. His the way he matches lineups, things like that, the way he develops players, of course, the one of the best in the league already. I think we could say. I do think he's left a little to be desired in in certain in-game situations. I hope he doesn't hear this and take me to task about it. Maybe he will. <laughs> because not that I could do any better job. It's you're in a, a pressure situation. It's not always easy. But you'd like to see a little more variation. And on, on that type of a play, yeah, the Jazz had no prayer of getting a three right. Right. And, again, the Heat defended it well. But, again, it was, it was difficult because I don't know if screens were set or it, it never really looked like succeeding. Anyway, Jazz are taking a timeout. We've got to take one, too. Uh, on the other side, we've got Jazz beat writer for, from the Salt Lake Tribune, Aaron Falk. He's going to join us after this game ends and uh, kind of break down the Jazz's season so far. You're listening to the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. Talking hoops and the association. This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. All right, welcome back in to the Salt City Hoops show. Andy Larson here, managing editor of Salt City Hoops. Ben Dowsett as well. Uh, as always, this is a social show, so please feel free to let us know what you think about the Jazz. Maybe the Jazz game tonight uh, lost by one, officially 92-91 to the Miami Heat. Um, or anything else that you'd like to talk about in Jazzland, we're open for anything. Again, at Andy B. Larson, at Ben underscore Dowsett, or you can always call us 877-353-0700. On the phone right now, though, is Utah Jazz beat writer for the Salt Lake Tribune, Aaron Falk. Uh, Aaron, how are you? Good. How are you guys doing tonight? Good. Hey, thanks for joining us. Hopefully you just finished watching that game just like we did. I did. I was I was walking upstairs right as that meaningless shot went in. <laughs> Perfect. Um, well, what do you make of the Jazz? You know, losing by one in Miami. Um, obviously, no Rudy Gobert there. Uh, but I think a better defensive performance from the Jazz tonight, even without Rudy Gobert on the floor. 
Yeah, I mean, incredible night from Derek Favors, um, and and you know, it's it's a tough thing to do to, to go up against. I I think Whiteside and Bosch with uh, with Derek Favors and you know Trevor Booker. We didn't we didn't get to see any you know Withy or or Plice. Um So it's a pretty tough matchup. I I thought there, but Favors was incredible. He's been to me the, the best player on this team you know, through the first, what are, what are we at now, eight games. Um, and, and you know, pretty pretty outstanding play. But, again, it's a team that kind of struggled in, in the fourth quarter a little bit. Yeah, we were discussing that kind of before you came on. We were discussing a little bit of their, their clutch issues. And I, once again, I'm aside from just, you know, Gordon Hayward missed some shots and some free throws, I'm I'm kind of struggling to put a finger on what the Jazz necessarily did badly during that period. You know, Tyler Johnson hit a couple of tough shots on them. I, I thought they played pretty solid defense for the most part. Is it? Do you see anything that, in these clutch situations so far this year that you can readily identify as changeable behavior beyond just like don't let LeBron score as much or don't miss <laughs> or like don't miss jump shots? Yeah, I mean, like that's it's tough because it's it's so early, right? And and. Now there are four losses, and three of them are, are close losses. You know, let's let's forget Portland for a minute. Um, but it, that, that you go back to to Detroit. That was a game where they they actually probably played pretty well in the fourth quarter. I mean, they rallied in that fourth quarter. They had, um, you know, it wasn't like they you know they they had a big lead and, and squandered it. They were coming back in that one, um, and then you know you you have a couple of defensive lasses and and apparently you know Rudy said there's a miscommunication between him and Rodney Hood on that Reggie Jackson layup. All right, there's one loss. Uh, the next one is Cleveland. Cle- Cleveland and you have a LeBron James problem and a Rudy Gobert problem. I mean, I'm not I'm not saying that you know if Rudy doesn't hurt his ankle that you win that game, but it certainly, you know, you've got to maybe some some sort of, you know, some extra help there. And then tonight, um, yeah, I mean, Neto, he goes under that screen, but he's still right there when, when Johnson hits that shot and, and you know, Alec Burks goes blazing down the floor and Chris Bosch is there to, to swat that shot away and maybe a couple of things go different ways. It's, it's a totally different thing. I, I'm not entirely sure. I mean, the, to me, the, the biggest problem ultimately is that, you know, they didn't, they didn't go out and add any extra shooting. Um, and, you know, you hope that Burks coming back would give them a boost, and Burks has played very well, I, I think, but ultimately they've got to have some shooters when Rodney Hood struggles from from three like he's done and he did tonight. Yeah, I would agree with that, and I, you mentioned one thing that I kind of wanted to touch on really briefly, and I th- on that you mentioned Neto goes under the screen, still gets a hand up, Johnson hits the shot. Guess what? If the person defending him is Dante Exum instead, he probably blocks it. Right, true. Like true. he probably blocks that shot, and that's so. I think you're, and you know, not that that's an excuse the Jazz can make. They are not going to have Dante Exum this year, very likely. But I, I, I think we are seeing that it's not necessarily in every case, at least, that you know, it's not some case of this is a young team that's freezing up in the clutch, right? Like I don't think we can. I don't know, Andy. Would you? Do you think you could say any semblance of like they just don't know yet? Like they're just not there. I think it's just some of it, and maybe those shots go in if you've got a little more experience. But to me, some of it is also just. Sometimes things don't go right, and sometimes other teams have really good players that play really well and make shots. 
Yeah, it seemed like last year the Jazz ran into shot clock problems a lot more in the clutch. And this year I think that's been a focus to, to kind of avoid that, mm. where they're not having to just jack shots up from wherever they are on the court with five or fewer seconds left in the shot clock. It's, it seems like they're getting kind of the shots they want. They're getting to the rim. And for whatever reason, they're either just not going in or, uh, you know, sometimes they are and then they don't play the requisite defense on the other end. Uh, or, you know, maybe the, the opponent's shots just go in against good defense. It feels like it's been a little bit unlucky. What you don't want to see is a situation like the Minnesota Timberwolves were in two years ago where you have this great net rating like the Jazz do, but then just can't get it done in the clutch whatsoever. Yeah, when you're you're basically buoyed by big wins over bad teams. Right. Yeah, so- I, I, to me, I mean, again, I, you know, we're eight games into this season at the same time, that's... 10% of the season. <laughs> um, right. I was just thinking about that, actually. Like, we are now 10%, one-tenth one of the way through the year. Yeah, so, uh, you know, it, it's it's not a huge amount, and at the same time, you know, eventually, these 10% that up, and, and you're at the end. So, you got to do something, <laughs> which is which is why, I mean, along those lines, which is why I'm keeping, you got to keep an eye on Memphis and, and New Orleans, I think, even now, I know it's super early, but, you know, maybe, maybe there's this, a silver lining here is, is um, if the Jazz can can do what they've done, the, the other teams around them have not been that inspiring, and this might still be a playoff team. Yeah, I, I think I would generally agree with that. So we were we were talking about one other thing earlier, uh, Aaron, and we want I wanted to ask you what you thought about this. What do you think was the bigger loss in this in this game due to injury and or their son being in the hospital uh Dwayne Wade or Rudy Gobert given what their respective teams do and what we saw out on the floor um it's a good question right it is it is a very good question especially I mean considering how evenly this this one came out I I know maybe it's a one-point game although maybe doesn't quite feel like a a one-point game but it was obviously a very evenly fought game um don't know. I mean, the way the way they got. I mean, the way Johnson filled in, the way they, they Miami got some extra scoring. That's. It, it almost makes it feel like you didn't miss Wade as much, but yeah, that's, it's tough. It's tough for me to say to say that you know a, a team that the Rudy is the Rudy Gobert is, is better than Dwayne Wade. I, don't, I guess I don't mean that. Just that I don't think it has to mean that. Like, I don't think saying that the Jazz missed Gobert more than Miami missed Wade necessarily means that in a vacuum, Gobert is a more valuable sure, player necessarily. You're right, you're right. And, the, and I think you touched on it, which would probably be the reason I would lean in that direction as well. The, and, and, and I mentioned it with Andy a second ago. The, the drop-off from Gobert to the guy that had to take a lot of his minutes, which would be Booker and or Lyles in this case, yes. or those smaller lineups, the drop-off there, I feel like, especially with how well Johnson played, was well, that was a larger drop off for the Jazz than it was from Wade to the guys that ended up taking the majority of those extra minutes for them. Uh, ab- absolutely, and, and especially when when you have to think about, I mean, the re- I mean, what really killed is is that it was Lyles and Booker against Chris Bosh for so much of the exactly, night, right? yeah. And you know the Jazz didn't. The, it's not that level of a matchup thing as far as as Wade being out. Where the, it's very specifically losing one guy who could spend a lot of time on Bosch. In that, I mean, really, you lose Gobert who spends the time on Whiteside, but that would have allowed Favors to spend the time on Bosch. I think that might be a larger a larger deal than losing any one particular thing that Wade does for that team. You know? Yeah, I I, I think that's that's fair. I mean, 
you think what I mean what Bosch could do as as a scorer on his own or or and you know with the, with the help they had I I think you're right I I got I guess you you swayed me your argument is persuasive <laughs> and I, I I tend to agree with you right now they call me persuasive Ben. Too? For a reason. <laughs> Did they call you that? No, they don't call that, me that has at anyone all. Ever I've never, you that? never been called that. Per- once. Persuade me that people call you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I want to ask you something, uh, basically related, but kind of season long. Do you think Quinn is playing Trey Lyles too much so far? Um, and the the alternative. I mean, coming into this game, Trey Lyles was was averaging what six minutes a game. Fair. Something like that. Let me. I'll check, but keep going. I, to me, it's it's. It hasn't been to the point that I, I thought that it's, it's been overwhelming. I mean, tonight I, I was a little surprised to see him get the start. Uh, I kind of thought that it might be Booker, and and you know he hasn't uh, Quinn hasn't shown like to, the tendency to do I guess the Jerry Sloan thing, and that's the you know bump the, the third tier guy up, and so you don't mess with your rotation, I guess. Um, but I, I was surprised to see him get the start tonight. I, I wouldn't say that before this that I, I felt like. Trey was getting too many minutes. I mean, I, he has not um, impressed in you know necessarily, which I, I think kind of everyone expects. That I don't think anybody thought he was going to come in and, and be some sort of impact player. But um, up until tonight, I, I would say absolutely not. Tonight felt like obviously maybe maybe so. Now, I just I actually just seen it I'm seeing this on Twitter right as we're having this conversation and I do think it's an interesting one because and you can lump Lyles with Booker to a to a certain degree that that pairing in particular has been really bad. Mm-hmm. And our our Dan Clayton on Twitter says alternate take. As bad as Book and and Trey Lyles have been, Plyce and Withy have failed to outplay them in practice for rotation minutes. I think he's presenting that as a theory. He's not we don't know for sure. Do you think and you're you know you're around the team as much as anyone? Do you think that that's maybe a bigger part of it is that there just haven't been other guys who have played well enough to to potentially take those minutes? I I think that's true. I mean, because in, in the short time we've seen Plyce, even in preseason, I mean, and, and Withy had some nice moments in preseason. Uh, I don't think we saw very many nice moments from Tibor Plyce. You know, in in what we've seen, and he's looked overmatched, and and I think he realizes that he's got a he's got a ways to go. Yeah. Um, and yet, you know, when it comes down to turn in that that active and active sheet, it's twice ahead of Withy most days. So, um, you know, I, I don't know what they're seeing exactly from uh, from Withy in practice. Uh, it seems to me that he's got the experience, the body, and and could in a pinch like tonight maybe have given you some minutes. Um, but I can I, make makes a solid point. I. I don't really have a problem, but but that being said, I don't. I certainly don't have a problem with with Trey Lyles getting six minutes a night. I don't think that that's killed them and necessarily up up until tonight it really hurt them. And there was not much else to do about it other than you know play Jeff with a huge minutes. Right, and you're you were right. It has been exactly or just over six minutes a night. So. Yeah, I, I think maybe the larger concern to me, and tell me if you agree, would be the amount that he's played specifically with Booker. I think you, I mean, it's hard to say because you don't necessarily want to split up favors and go bare for too huge of periods. But at the same time, I think you could maybe try a little harder to go ahead and stagger those guys so that, uh, you know, Lyles gets some time with either with one of favors or Gobert, and so does Booker, and then they only play smaller periods together, maybe. Yeah, that that to me has been a strange combination. I mean. You you hear, you know, how versatile Trey Lyles can, can be or will be, um, but at the same time he's he's got to play power forward. I think if he's going to play, 
And to see him and Booker super small and just the, the scoring has not been there. It's, it's just it's, it's tough. And, and then maybe that's just the, the sad, the tough reality is that's just kind of where they are right now. I mean, there's not much to do. I, I would say that Trevor Booker's play overall has surprised me with how kind of lackluster it's been, too. Um, yeah. In that, but that's kind of what they're dealing with. I mean, they, that's, that's the hand that he can play most nights. Yeah, and, you know, the, the again, I think it just really becomes a question, is have any, has anyone behind them deserved those minutes? And uh, what what kind of what do they what what can the Jazz do differently to separate them without ruining the number of minutes that you're going to get with your best two front court players on the court at the same time? Yeah, and I, and I and I don't know. I mean, to me, you know, you're you just they're trying to play. You've got to play favors and go bare close to forty minutes right now. I mean, look look what like Portland does or or some of these guys if if they're going to really try to. To match up against some of these teams, it's just it's just long haul minutes for some of these guys. Other, yeah. Otherwise, you're in the, the situation that we've seen so far. And and maybe it's time. To, I am probably not now, but to acquire someone who is just a better third big that can can fit those roles. Uh, we're going to be having a crazy trade idea of the week later on in the in the show that may address. <laughs> I don't know about issues. this one, so I'm stoked for it now because I'm I've been kept in the dark, which I enjoy. I want Good. I want to be able to react, and I was just thinking about it, and I believe someone either tweeted it to me or just tweeted it in general earlier that has you know if this continues for another you know what ten another ten games or so, are you at the point where need for a third big starts to eclipse the need for a point guard, given that that Burke and Neto, while not awesome have been i think enough to that and three wing lineups have been enough to hold their own for the most part and it's a bigger long-term issue right because you you have dante exum coming back next season yeah you don't have trevor booker's an unrestricted free agent next season and you you don't have a natural guy to fill that role unless you really really believe in trey lyles uh and you know i i don't know that you 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 don't believe in trey lyles certainly as much as you believe in dante exum given the pedigree of those players no definitely not (laughs) all right uh, I want to ask you a couple of like kind of writer questions, Aaron, if that's okay. Absolutely. Okay, so this one's kind of bigger picture, and uh, but how do you how do you come up with your ideas for feature pieces? This is something I've uh, honestly kind of struggled with a little bit as a KSL writer, and maybe you're not going to give me your secrets, and that's okay. <laughs> um, but like you know, I, I think you've had some really interesting, well well done, kind of in depth pieces about different parts of the jazz. And I was, you know, kind of wondering, you know, what is it that inspires you to write about those topics? There's, there's a natural spring in the mountains, and you go up there. <laughs> and if you, if you drink it from it, Andy, um, I, you know, I, I don't know. I don't think there's really any uh, – I don't necessarily have a, a, a system, which I probably should. There's probably a failing on, on my part to like, that, that uh, is best at, at generating ideas you know, or, or better than, than other ways. It's just talking with people. I mean, you just, you just kind of, especially, especially in, in this job, I, I think, because by and large, people care about the players and the coaches and maybe, you know, Dennis Lindsay. And that leaves you with, let's, let's say that there are really like 20 people that, the, that jazz fans care about, right? Like, that might be generous. That, and, that, and I would say, yeah, I mean, so probably it's closer to 10 people. And it's tough. I mean, it's, it's tough. You just have to, I think you just have to just try to 
I, I don't know. I, mean, I think over the course of conversation with with people, things come out and you just write them down, and then you hope in in three months you gathered enough string to create something that's somewhat interesting. Yeah. Um, this is how the just, best in the business do it. Or you just stare in a mirror and you just say, "I'm so bad at this. I'm so <laughs> bad at this. I'm so bad at this." Until well, something comes to you. So do you? Let's say, what's the 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 start of your process? Was what I was going to be like. If you know, let's say you know you've got a feature next week and you've just you just have no idea what you're going to write it about. Because I get to that point sometimes where I you know I do my pieces come on Tuesday and I'm sitting here on like Friday or or Saturday and I'm like what am I going to write about this week like I really have no idea and I and I even probably have a wider range of things I can write about than you because I can do 1500 words on some like little some pick and roll on coverage Bryce Cotton or like Bryce Cotton or whatever that you know <laughs> you probably don't have that that license with a newspaper what's the first like for me when I get in one of those situations I'll go to a I'll go to Synergy or I'll go to the, you know, to the NBA.com stats page for the Jazz or something and I'll just look for something to jump out at me and start to figure out why is that happening and what, you know, what can I illustrate from that? What do you what's your like first process to get you out of writer's block if you ever have it? I, I think I mean if if it's going to be something about on the court, um NBA.com stats is is kind of a a, a first step, you know, and you start to, to look around our basketball reference and maybe you can play around with some of those things. Um, and, and then I, I think that really is find to maybe pick a, a sub a, like a person or someone like that and ask someone else about that person um, because you know Gordon Hayward's insights on Gordon Hayward eventually I think they kind of dry up or at least what he's willing to share right so you've got to try to go around to you know other people. That, that know him, whether it's in the organization or not, and, and maybe they've you know they've they've observed something differently than you have, or or that he has even, and that can that can kind of help you uh, you know get get going down a different path if that makes sense. I'm interested in hearing who your whether they differ from mine, who your go to guys would be when you're you know let's say you're looking to find out something about Trey Lyles. Who are you, you know, if you, cause you, you don't want to just talk, especially in Trey Lyles' case, he'll say like four words to you and you could barely get anything. <laughs> so who is, who are a couple of the, I mean, I think Hayward would be on pretty much everybody's list, but be, beyond him, who are the guys that'll give you more than just like, yeah, he shows up and works really hard every day and he's a great addition to our team? Well, on, on the, on the, on this roster, I mean, Joe Ingles is probably right now the best, like, you know, 2,000 feet bird's eye view perspective guy. Yeah. The the uh, the role formerly occupied by Steve Novak and <laughs> yep. Richard Jefferson. Um, you know, outside of that, I mean, on Trey Lyles, you would go. I, I mean, to, for me, the easiest things and sometimes most interesting things are to go into the past and to go. I mean, like, all right, here here's this read read like any Jonathan Abrams long form on the now dead website, Grantland or whatever. Um, I just poured out some water on the floor. <laughs> I didn't actually do that, but, uh, and it's like, what's he going to do? He's going to talk to their high school coach. He's going to talk to, you know, people in their, in their past, you know, um, friends or family or, or things like that. And that can help, you know, open up some, some different perspective and avenues there. 
This is beat writer 101 stuff here, guys. <laughs> if you ever want to be a beat writer, you need to listen to this seven minutes or so that we've just done. All right, so my second writer question was how it was that you got to go to Hawaii and uh, Tony Jones is on this trip, which he admittedly was excited about the Miami part, but it's, uh, to me it's still probably less. I think Miami and... might be a bigger deal for Tony than Hawaii, honestly. I really except, think. Do you guys except, have a draft except, of, of uh, road trips, or how do you decide it? Except that Tony, most of Tony's Miami was spent in Cleveland, <laughs> if, I'm, <laughs> if I'm not mistaken. Oh, that uh, sucks. He... he Got stuck there for an extra night, apparently. Mm. Um, how did this happen? Um, basically, it came down to so we're we're a little different than you know a lot of papers travel with just one guy, and that person is a lifer, and he loves to wake or he or she loves to wake up at six in the morning every day and go on every single airplane in the world, and I'm not that person. Um, so we split it up and. I, I will tell you exactly how we split it up. Um, it was I was in the Las Vegas airport coming back from Summer League. I, I think, no, or was it not Summer League? It would, it would have been Team USA. I think that's what the schedule came out. I don't remember I was in the Vegas airport. And, um, you know, Tony and I are pretty good to each other. We kind of just go back and forth. And I said, Tony, yeah, right, you're going to Hawaii. um no he he uh he's going to you know there's some some place some trips in cities that are more um you know enjoyable or or desirable than others and so tony's got there's a nice jazz trip where they go to um nets and nicks and there's you, you stay you could stay in one hotel you could stay in manhattan for four or five nights in a row and Tony's got that one, and you know, I mean, I, I made a trade. That's made a trade. That's the trip I'm going on, by the way. And, and that's so, what I, I think I told you. You guys are going to have to go to that club, One Oak or whatever. Is yeah. it One Oak, Ten Oak. What are we? How does it? Yeah, happen? One Oak, or I don't know how you actually pronounce it, but the, it doesn't the matter because we'll never get into that club. <laughs> <laughs> clubbing, clubbing with Tony Jones is like really high on my life on my bucket list. Basically, for clubbing with Tony Jones, but making sure my girlfriend never finds out about it is like really high up on the list if, for me. If you guys do, you just you have to periscope that for everyone. Deal. The people, that, the people need that. That sounds fair. All right. Well, we got to go ahead and take a break. Uh, Aaron, thank you so much for joining us. We can follow you at Trib Jazz, right? Yep. Any anytime. Cool. All right. Uh, thank you so much, Aaron, again, for joining us on the show today. Like I said, we got to take a break. On the other side, we do our Around the NBA segment, wrapping up what's going on in, around the NBA, the National Basketball Association this week. That's next on the Salt City Hoop Show, ESPN 700. Analytics and opinions on the Jazz and the rest of the NBA. This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. Welcome back into the Salt City Hoop Show, ESPN 700. I'm Andy Larson, Ben Dowsett, joining you as well. As always at this time, uh, we're going to go around the NBA, bringing you the latest news and notes from the association. This one's going to be fun. Yeah, it's one of our best ones. Let's get started. Uh, DeAndre Jordan played the Dallas Mavericks last night. Did not play well. Had a minus 23 out there on the, while he was on the court. I uh, had a chance to watch that game. Right? And uh, Dallas, Dallas ended up winning. Um, but... As always, there was more drama between uh, Jordan and, and the Mavericks ever since this summer. 
couple of different interesting quotes there. Cuban said the Clippers will always be the Clippers. You can change the owner, you can change the players, but they'll always be the same team they've been for the last 30 years. Was That's a, a I love it. No, decently it was, accurately paraphrased version. I, I appreciate it. Uh, he also threatened to release their text messages that they had over the summer where uh, Jordan uh, I, you know, apparently kind of expressed regret that he wasn't going to be there or whatever the case might be. Mm-hmm. It sounded like it was a more positive interaction than has was initially reported okay. um, by, say, Chris Broussard. Uh, <laughs> not, surprise, not to surprise. name names, but Chris Broussard. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, DeAndre Jordan said he didn't really care. He thought the Dallas reception would be worse than it was. Um, there were a lot of boos and a lot of signs. I don't know what he was expecting in terms of like. I do recall. At him, I recall people who were in the building tweeting like, "Yeah, they're booing, but I expected it to be louder." Basically, okay. like I think what I don't think it would have compared, for example, to the Jazz booing cancer last year. Jazz fans booing cancer. That is. Uh, and I think, you know, DeAndre Jordan showed some remorse, and I think that makes a difference, whereas Cantor really wanted to be the the villain. Yeah, when, uh, you're, when you're playing up the crowd to start right yelling there. at you, they're going to boo you pretty loudly. You're, yeah, exactly. But then the biggest thing for me was that I don't have the exact quote, but afterwards, after the game, Dirk basically, who is like, is there a nicer human being on this earth than Dirk Nowitzki, especially who's that size? Probably not. And he basically said to uh, to some effect, "Yeah, there's like there's still beef, and we don't like him to like to some degree." That's not the exact quote or anywhere close. Are you are you finding it? No, I sorry, I was looking for it, but um, it was something down those lines. I know he said it. I know I'm I'm paraphrasing badly, but he said something. But like still, that. that's I, I I disagree. First of all, that Dirk is the nicest person on earth because Pau Gasol is okay. But <laughs> after that, no, I, I think it is. It does say something that there is still disagreement, and it's clear that Dallas still feels like there's that they were wronged a little bit, and rightfully so. You know, you you look at how likely it is that Dallas makes the playoffs with and without DeAndre Jordan, and it's it's a big big difference. Uh, they could have gone after Lamarcus Aldridge, for example, was something reported by Adrian mm-hmm. Wojnarowski earlier this week. Uh, that DeAndre Jordan said he was going to sign, and then didn't really ruined the offseason for the Dallas Mavericks. Yeah. Removed a whole lot of – so much opportunity cost there. Yeah, no, there really is a lot. I would have booed him about as loudly as I could if I was a Dallas fan personally. Next one we got. Yeah, uh, Gerald Green news. Yeah, Gerald Green, who did not play in tonight's game against the Jazz for Miami because he was serving the second game of his two-game suspension, which he received for apparently punching a man and then being combative with paramedics during a – did we ever find out what the exact – situation was that he was in in the first place because they because then he went to the hospital after no and it's interesting it seems like the the media around the team has an idea of what actually happened but none of them seem to release it in order to kind of protect gerald green a little bit and you know something happened where for whatever reason people seem to be on his side despite the fact that he punched someone and had blood on his hands and then the team suspended um him. and then the team suspended him so it's I, you know it's either like a serious personal issue like a a drug addiction or something like that. Um, you know, maybe serious problems in his life. I I don't know what it is. It but is it's, really bizarre. It's, huh? It is. Yeah, it, you're absolutely right. It's a bizarre turn of events. Um, you hope he's well and that you know that there's nothing right. awful or, or that sort of thing. You do think that if there was, it would have been more than a two game suspension, or it, or it could have been you know he's no, he's not with the team right now due to personal reasons or something that you you more typically hear. Uh, it is. It's a definitely a situation to monitor going forward. As is, unless you had something else on that, our next one. No, go ahead. Which is the situation in Sacramento, which, by the way, we always knew was, was going to be hilarious. Over the summer at Summer League, I, I happened to spend a lot of time around Jason Jones, who's the one of the beat writers. I believe it's the, the Sacramento Bee, if I'm not uh, saying that incorrectly. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, 
And we were just talking generally about how how insane this season was going to be for him to be covering that team. And I think it's lived up to expectations so far. Most recently, DeMarcus Cousins uh, reportedly went on a profanity-laced tirade against Coach George Carl after a game, not just in private, in public, in front of, not, I mean, not in front of thousands of people, but in front of teammates and team members and so on and so forth. This wasn't even really denied by Vladi Divac when he was reached for comment. He basically sided with the players because they, the rumors have now come out that Carl attempted to have Boogie suspended for his outburst and yeah. was overruled by Vladi Divac. Uh, kind you, of evocative of the Darren, Darren Williams yeah, situation five very, years ago in Utah. Very, and I feel like George Carl is a guy who's going to react to that similarly to how Jerry Sloan. I mean, he didn't quit right away, but he's not going to be happy with that sort of thing. No. Um Carl is already rumored to be on the hot seat. We're seeing rumors that he may lose his job by the end of this week, which is just, I mean, that's insane. And then the yeah, greatest, and, oh, sorry, go first ahead. of all, just mentioning that, I mean, I think it was a three-year contract. I believe it's for $12 million guaranteed, maybe $11 million, but regardless, a lot of money. And they're going to give up on him after, what, eight, nine games? Yeah. A quick reminder cool. that their best player, the guy who it clearly appears they're siding with here, was not consulted when they made this coaching decision, which is uh, that's just fantastic. Which, no, I mean, uh, you uh, a lot of teams don't consult their best player when they make the coaching decisions, right? I mean, you don't necessarily want your best player that involved in personnel decisions. Um, that being said, when it's DeMarcus Cousins and he's shown a such a bipolar manner and how he's reacted to those coaches. Yeah. I think you have to let him choose a coach at this point or quite frankly, trade him because you've shown time and time again that a personality conflict there is going to ruin your roster. Yeah. And then the best part to me was that it has been reported that Vladi and one of his assistant GMs, whose name I'm currently not remembering, actually asked the players if they thought that George Carl should be fired because Vladi and whoever his assistant in this case was were not sure what the decision there should be, and I just I I, I don't know what what can you even say yeah, when you hear something like that. Yeah, at what point do you like ask that? the players to hire not to hire a coach but to fire him? I, I I guess again, do you want the players' feedback or not? I, I, Asking them in a canvas just, format like that seems to be universally wrong to me. Like, yeah, even no, if you right. want your players' input more than most. That's the wrong way to go about well, it. Well, and that's what's so weird about it is that it's inconsistent, right? Yeah. You know, that you have uh, one way of doing business one week and another way of doing business the next week. And that's happened time and time again with the Kings organization. Yeah. Uh, next one, Kevin Durant is out for the next seven to ten days or so. Um, there is a little bit of uncertainty with that report. But again, the, the Thunder are going to be playing without Kevin Durant. What do you make of it? I mean, it sucks. It sucks to, and it, the main part for me that sucks is having to hear that they've left the timeline open again mm -hmm. on the end of that. They said he'll be re-examined in seven to ten days, which may sound familiar because we heard a lot of that same type of stuff last year. Yeah, when he, you know, and it, every time it ended up being well, it's going to be longer now. And a hamstring's different. They can be naggy, but it's not the same as a foot. So you hope that it's going to be a little bit of a better situation there. But yeah, you want one of the best players in the game to be in the game, and it's too bad that he's not. Agreed. I want to get to our next section though. Is this LOL Lakers? This is LOL Lakers. Do we have yes. All right. The Lakers. Uh, they have given us so much they material. They're so bad. <laughs> you go first. We'll, we'll okay. alternate here. Okay. So, a few days ago, this was earlier last week, Byron Scott comes out and says that after a game where he benched D'Angelo Russell, the team's second overall pick and a guy that the franchise clearly wants to be the future there, he benched him for the fourth quarter and then came out after the game and clearly directing this at D'Angelo said, my young players will not play if they aren't able to pick up more things and start learning faster and so on and so forth. 
Within that same interview, he then later went on to say, young players need time on the court so that they can learn the things that are going on the court. Those following along closely here will understand that you can't really have it both those ways. Yeah, it's either one or the other, or you're an illogical coach who probably should be fired. Yeah. Um, He also made reference to how he prioritizes winning over prioritizing developing the young players. Unfortunately, that that comment came when he was 0-4. His team is now 1-7, and he's now approaching the fifth consecutive season. This is my favorite stat. Fifth consecutive season that a Byron Scott coach team will have one of the five worst defenses in the NBA. That is almost impossible. Like, having a bottom five defense legitimately means that your team is both badly manned and badly coached. I don't think you can have yeah, a bottom like five Sixers, defense. for example, have about an average defense, yeah. and they have no talent. I do not think you can legitimately have a bottom five defense that's well coached. Like, I just don't think it's possible. And they have Roy Hibbert now. I honestly thought their defense would be, again, approaching average-ish this year. Yeah. Uh, and it has not been. No. And All right. Meanwhile, they still have three of the worst chuckers in the league in Kobe Bryant, Lou Williams, and uh, Nick Young. Speaking of Kobe Swaggy Bryant, three. you want to go on the Kobe stuff? Yeah, so Kobe is saying, first of all, that the young Lakers are learning by observing how I approach it, which if I was watching how Kobe Bryant approaches it, it would be to take a lot of terrible shots all the time, to sometimes give up and not practice with the roster because his back hurts, and indeed not play some games. Yeah, that that seems about right. 32% and he's taking 16 shots a game. That's not 32% from deep, folks. That is 32% from the field for the season. He's still taking the most shots on the team, taking them away from guys like Julius Randle. Yeah, taking away from development of Julius Randle, Jordan Clarkson, D'Angelo Russell, so on and so forth. This team. And he's like legitimately frustrated over here. And this is a team that he should hate based on his childhood. Yeah, no, I, I, (laughs) uh, I hate them. But now I just am starting to feel bad for... Lakers fans. I can't believe I just said that. No. no I'm not. I, we were talking about this at the Jazz Arena the, during their last home game. I will never, ever, ever feel bad for Lakers fans. Sorry. It's just never going to happen. I like, by the way, that we're just calling it the Jazz Arena now because it's changed. I'm not names. calling it. I'm not saying that for a long <laughs> name. It's the Delta Center. Last thing real quick. Kobe also says he wants to play for the 2016 Olympic team. Dude, give it a rest, man. Like, there's other guys that would it would make their lives to play on that team. You've played on two already. You suck now. Like, stop. That part, I do have to say, like... Do you think Coach J- K stands up to him? I hope so. Because just like the... Now, this... And this bothers me more than the All-Star thing. The All-Star thing is one thing, and you can debate whether that's, a, you know, down the line, whether Gordon Hayward would have been being able to say, yeah, I played on a couple All-Star games. Would that be great for his legacy? Mm-hmm. But if you ask me whether it would be great for Gordon Hayward or, you know, whoever else you would... Bradley Beal, whoever might not make that team because Kobe decides he wants to play on it that one of those guys could then end their career not being able to say, I played on a U.S. men's Olympic basketball team. That's ridiculous. That's just completely ridiculous. Stop it, Kobe. Completely agreed. Kobe Bryant and the Lakers are insane, and it's dysfunctional. And, uh, I mean, you kind of wonder what changes. I mean, uh, at some point, Jeannie Buss is going to take over for Jim Buss in terms of leading the basketball operations department. But uh, even then... What, at least the they get Kobe off the books this summer. Yeah. At least that's—I mean—that's that by itself should be a large boon. And if they have any sense whatsoever, Byron Scott will not be the coach at the start of next. But season. then, so do you? Uh, do you keep? Uh, first of all, how do you get a free agent to come there? Because uh, you know, why would you ever come to the Lakers? Yeah. with that current roster. And then, I—I uh, I mean, I almost think that they're keeping Byron Scott because uh, they want to tank. They want to keep their pick this year. That's but if top you, three protected, yeah, I guess I just I think the odd the the odds of that are low enough that I think mortgaging your potential future with a guy who you already picked second overall this past year is I think maybe doing more damage. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I agree.
Anyway, we got to go ahead and take a break. On the other side, we've got our crazy trade idea of the week. I'm stoked. Um, yeah, we haven't done one of these for a while, but finally it's kind of trade season again, which is going to be fun. So anyway, we're going to take a break. On the other side, crazy trade idea. You're listening to the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. We're bringing it back. We're bringing it back. Not every week, but, you know, when there's a good trade out there that I see that I, I, I want to mm-hmm. chase after it. And I have no prior information as to this trade. So I, I'm gonna, my visceral reaction is going to be the one you get. So I'm going to reveal it to you. Uh, I guess piece by piece. All right. I, there's no other way. I can't just download it into your brain, but whatever. Sacramento Kings, I think, right. are going to be making some trades and coaching changes and et cetera. Maybe. Um, so, in particular, they have two pieces that I would like to have on the Jazz, and I'm going to go for them both in this trade. Darren Collison and who? Costa Kufis. Okay. He's a kind of de- he fits into the Jazz's defensive culture. Uh, be a better third big than Booker the way he, Booker's played. He'd be so a much better year. third big than Booker. He doesn't space the floor certainly, but I think he allows you to have kind of the same defensive identity throughout all hopefully forty eight minutes. You know, you have two of uh, Favors Gobert and Kufis out there on the floor. Um, again, yeah. could work. You, you of course want to throw Trey Lyles a few minutes here and there. And can Kufis play four? Um, no, but Derek Favors can. So I, I mean, so you couldn't play him with Gobert, but you could play him with not. Favors. Yeah. Okay. Which, uh, again, makes it difficult. But All right, so what I, are you I, sending? He's nice. Um, I'm sending Trey Lyles, mm. which is, you know, your number 12 pick. It's it's a big loss, but if the Kings are going to do this, I think this is a look-towards-a-future sort of move. This yeah. is a maybe-you-make-it-at-the-same-time-you-trade-DeMarcus-Cousins tra- sort of move. Okay. Um, which, again, I don't know if they and do that. And you're rebuilding but, around and then Will, you, Willie Cauley-Stein and, and Trey Lyles. And having a whole lot of cap space. Yeah. Uh, in particular, Darren Collison has two years left on the deal. Costa Kufis has four years left on his deal. So, you know, maybe you're trying to build cap space. Again, cap's moving up, though, so that cap space isn't worth a lot. Okay. You probably have um, to send something besides Lyles, I'm, right? I'm not done yet. All right. Trevor Booker's gone. Uh, okay. And Trey Burke is sent on this as well, just mostly huh. so they have, again, young player um, that they can play at the point guard position behind Rajon Rondo. Again, just giving them some youth. Uh, and then also sending the Oklahoma City first-round pick that was gonna ask acquired was in the Ennis Cantor deal. It feels like a lot. It, feel, uh, uh, it feels a bit like a lot. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. Like, I, if I'm sending, like if I'm sending Trey Burke and a pick, I don't know if I want to send Trey Lyles. Like I, I, I kind of would would kind of pri- probably try and haggle and only send one of those. Does, like, and I'm not saying Trey Burke is an asset on the same level that Trey Lyles is currently because he's not, but uh, I, I don't think I'd want to send both of those. So I don't see how those guys have actually all that much value though. To, I, Darren Carlson's probably the best piece in this deal, right? Or Kufus, actually. Okay. Um, that dep- I think that's going to depend a lot on what Sacramento thinks of a guy like Lyles. Yeah, no, I, I think that's important. And it, uh, but that pick is that pick might be the most valuable asset in that trade. Actually, maybe, but it's it is lottery protected. Like a, and it's not coming for a little while. It so. is, and it's probably like a one third chance that it turns into second round picks. Yeah, something like that. Maybe. So, uh, I, I, yeah, maybe that's it's not that valuable. It's a it's kind of a it's a consolidation trade a little bit by the Jazz, where you have kind of these pieces that maybe don't fit that well with the system. And I think you get two guys who would fit very well with Quinn Snyder's system um, in that Darren Collison can shoot incredibly well. Uh, okay, very well. Let's put it that way. Okay. Um, passes the ball well for a point guard. Uh, I, I think he fits in 
better. I think he plays better defense than Trey Burke. And then I, I just like Costa Kufis as a third big. Yeah, I mean, I definitely like the idea of Collison on the Jazz. He's a legitimate spot up. Like, Trey's been shooting the ball very well this year, but Collison has a much longer track record of being a guy that can hit those shots. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would be a big fan of that. Uh, I, I would, you know, the, 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 the specific pieces might have to alter, but I, I, in the long run, I don't think I'd be totally opposed to a deal like that. Okay. Yeah, and I, I think it depends so much on Sacramento's mindset as well. I mean, they just had that weird Nick Stauskas deal, so th- they've been going the other direction, trading youth for win-now talent. Now that they're not winning now, what do they do? Yeah, I guess it's a pretty good question. I was When you first said Sacramento, I thought you were going to bring up a big old boogie trade. Because no, I, I saw those yesterday. Yeah, I did. I, I, that would have been the super crazy trade idea of the week. I was going for you know, kind of helping the Jazz a little. We bit. should talk about that idea the down the line, just because I have some interesting like points about it. We unfortunately have like twenty five seconds, left, <laughs> so we can't do it now. Okay, but next yeah. week. Next yeah. week we do have a show, by the way, next Thursday from 7 to 9 p.m. As always, if you want to listen to any more of these shows, check us out on iTunes, Stitcher, or, of course, SaltCityHoops.com. Thank you guys so much for listening. This has been the Salt City Hoops Show on ESPN 700.